0: Hello, welcome to the I Want to Meet Nikola Tesla podcast. I'm your host, Nikola Milunovic. Today, I have a very special guest, Alexandra Marshall. How are you going today?
1: Thank you very much for having me today. And what you have done is inadvertently uh, welcomed on probably a bigger Tesla fan than you. i brought my <laughs> with me, but uh, yeah, I don't think you realized that when you invited me.
0: I had no idea. <laughs> And uh, actually, yeah, and I, I and I didn't even invite you on to talk about Tesla. Um, I came across your work um, on Twitter. Actually, I really enjoyed your tweets, and I read your article about uh, the social media. Um, I think it was called um, "Say That You Love Me." I really enjoyed it, and right. I thought, yeah, I wanted to learn more about uh, learn more about you and how long how long you've been involved being a writer and um, yeah, if you'd like to share your story, that'd be awesome.
1: Well, weirdly, it actually begins with Tesla. So I started writing at school and I was a big sci-fi fan, hence the Stargate DVDs and all of that. And uh, I I did my major work on Nikola Tesla. So that was my first full um, large historical story that I actually did and um, then I went into engineering and and I did physics and stuff at uni and then I ended up back doing artificial intelligent databases and so I spent maybe 10 years doing that sort of stuff but I loved writing so I kept writing for the fandom industry so I was always doing Doctor Who and Sanctuary and Stargate and Battlestar Galactica I was writing thousands of words a day on that and eventually I wandered back into politics which I've always loved and I've I've loved free speech and the politics surrounding liberty and um, the history of uh, the great politicians of our era and that sort of thing and I ended up falling back into writing professionally in politics but really most of my writing was actually done in fandom before
0: that. Wow that's an amazing story and also the fact that like you're a huge Tesla fan I never would have guessed I never would have picked it. (laughs) that's amazing yeah uh, that's that's seriously awesome surprise um so yeah what the yeah what i wanted to ask you is like what do you what what's going on like i don't like i feel like uh, like the sort of political commentators or philosophers that i follow i really enjoyed uh, stefan molyneux with freedom main radio and then he got like the platform and i I follow I still follow him and listen to his podcast um do you do you have any fear that like you're like uh you're going to be like a victim of your own success um and what do you think about like yeah like how do you when so many people are afraid to basically talk about anything that isn't um propagating fear um or hysteria um how do you sort of like maintain your strength to sort of keep going
1: well let me put it this way i'm a cancerian raised by a family of aries okay so i grew up with a lot of strong opinions yeah. and a lot of comedy and a fairly rough engagement of ideas and we thrive on that kind of thing so even if i wanted to shut up i wouldn't be able to it's just impossible so i have that benefit to begin with um that would be my my upbringing um but i started in politics quite early. So I was very interested in politics when I was about near 10, 11. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if you uh, remember it, but we had this thing called Board of Studies, but spelled B-O-R-E-D when we were in school, where the political kids would hang out and chat about um, all the current political things going on. And so when I got to uni, the first thing I did was I joined the Young Liberals because I thought, oh, well, I'll, I like policy. I want to chat about particularly nuclear energy and that sort of thing. And then I got there and they were obsessed with getting themselves elected, but had no interest whatsoever in politics. And so I had a uh, a real sort of throw the, the tantrum moment and just sort of walked away from politics for a long time and focused on work. And it was only when my own writing uh, started to feel the pinch of censorship. And I noticed that politics was beginning to interfere with my day-to-day life that I was like, right enough, if this is going to be where, The discussion is heading and politics is going to start interfering with normal life, then it's time to get involved and stop it in its tracks there. So that's how I wandered back into writing for politics. It's why I focus on issues of liberty, civil rights, um, human rights and censorship predominantly. Uh, So that answers your question of how I got there. As far as taking abuse, this comes from fandom. Cause when you're in, I used to moderate all the early forums cause I was involved in the very beginning of the internet forums. And I had to moderate 14 year old girls obsessing over boys and they'd have full scale wars while you're asleep. And that's far harder to moderate than political debate. I guarantee you, they wanted to kill each other. So I- I'm used to that kind of continuous abuse. And so what I see now it's like, you guys are amateurs. Wait till you've dealt with girls in fandom and then you can talk about difficult to moderate forums. So I think that prepared me for an onslaught of criticism and basically hate. I mean, the the left are pretty hateful toward women, particularly who refuse to bend to the feminist line. So that's how I got involved. As for being a victim of success, I'd have to be successful first, but uh, (laughs) I'll cross that bridge when I get there, if I get there.
0: I think think you're selling yourself a little bit short um i think the work you've done so far is uh, really amazing and like really gives like um a different like a perspective on what's going on and not just in australia but like internationally um speaking of your article on on big tech um i've noticed when i do a google search lately there's like a warning that comes up and it's like uh uh google talking about um their stance on the like i i don't understand it fully maybe that's something you could like tell me and like explain to me a bit of what you think you what's going talking, on there
1: are you talking about the media bargaining code where yeah. this the australian government and the big tech industries yeah because that yeah that's a really interesting thing i mean it's it's hard to explain because it's not quite sensible what's going on so okay and everyone knows that the big tech oligarchs have too much power and they are interfering with politics and they're interfering with basic rights and um we've got a a, a situation where a series of, ver- of very small people so maybe a dozen or so who run corporations are now able to erase people and governments and presidents yeah. if they feel like that is definitely wrong and we've got laws that are supposed to stop companies from having that much power. So they're meant to be broken up and and regulated, but they're not. And the reason it's not happening is because the politicians in power are using those companies to basically run their politics and to get elected. So that's why the tech companies are being empowered and they're not being brought to heel with the laws that exist. Like our laws are actually good, so we don't need more regulation. The regulation just needs to be applied correctly. So that's the first sort of setting that's happened now. And that's mostly America because there's servers in America. So they're governed by U.S. law. And so it should be an American government that brings them into power. Now, the second thing we've got is what's happening in Australia, which is we've got legacy media, which has been trying to compete with social media and has been slipping away yeah. because almost well, because they refuse to adapt and they won't they, they don't hire new talent they don't bring they don't do new mediums i mean they're trying but they haven't really gotten um why social media is more successful than them and why youtube channels have orders of magnitude more viewers they don't understand it yet they're trying yeah. but they're not there and so they uh look at these companies and go why should you make money when we're not now what they don't understand is that they're in a parasitic relationship where Uh, Without the big tech, they don't get the views and therefore won't get the audience they've currently got. So they need to be friends with them in order to uh, receive their own income and their own subscriptions. And that's a fair trade. So that bringing clicks and bringing eyeballs is a fair trade that doesn't require any further monetization, just to be clear. But what they did is pressured the government into regulating social media to try and bring more money into these uh legacy media companies um but why they didn't realize that one the government can't regulate them because they're not in australia so all the government can do you did is just black them out that's about all they can do which would kill legacy media overnight so not a brilliant plan um the other problem with what they're trying to do is that people like google have the facility to just become the next news media empire so they're perfectly capable of going we don't really need legacy media i mean we, we keep you because you're helpful, but we could just replace you. And so they're bargaining from a position of, of weakness. They can't actually maintain the threat. And yeah. um, I guarantee you the second that uh, Google blacks out Australia or Wikipedia blacks out Australia, the politicians would be put under so much pressure, they'd have to walk it back. And then people would hate not only legacy media, but the politicians. So it's pretty much lose, lose on this game they're trying to play. What they should be doing is bringing social media companies to heel about the sale and collection of private personal data, which is illegal under under Australian law. So if you want to punish big tech, you can. The laws are there and they should be brought into regulation like other Australian companies. But they don't want to enact those laws because they're more difficult to put through the courts. They're trying this superficial approach, which sounds good if you don't know anything about social media and big tech but don't actually doesn't work when, you know, the ecosystem involved.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounds like a bit of like a tantrum being thrown by like the legacy media, um, in Australia. Um, I definitely like, cause sometimes, you know, you open up an article from like, I don't know, the Australian or something you get, you bring up a paywall and you're just like, oh, I don't really want to pay for like reading this stuff. And then I think, I, I don't know what their numbers and like metrics are. Um, but obviously it must not be good if they've sort of like resorted to these sort of te- um, tactics. And then that brings into question like journalism and from your perspective um as a journalist, where, where do you see um journalism headed? Um Is, do you th- do, yeah, I, I know it's a tough <laughs> question, it. but like, uh, like, cause you kind of see like, um, you know, at, at a lot of these like sort of legacy media sort of places, they're just sort of like, there's not, not much critical thinking going on. And like you said, a lot, of, um, a lot of the stuff I like to read and follow is from people that are part of YouTube channels or um,
1: yeah, well, doing things well, independently. This is, what, this is what's really annoying is I don't want legacy media to fail. Like I don't want to have a world owned by social media as our only uh, media organisation. That's, that's not a good future to head towards because we've seen yeah. how um, happy they are to manipulate whatever they want so uh,
0: i'm sorry i'm being actually, interrupted here by someone <laughs> go on
1: <laughs> so it's a shame that they haven't uh, worked out gosh. how
0: oh my god <laughs> this this is my uncle steve who say hi to the camera <laughs> <Yahoo>! <laughs>
1: yeah. so it's um it's a shame that they haven't worked out that the reason that facebook and youtube are successful is because they don't paywall you they monetize you via advertising yeah and that's how uh, they don't stop people from viewing their content like a paywall does. They've worked out a better way around that, um, uh, that idea. Um, and it's a shame that they didn't because they would get a lot further. They're also a bit lazy. So their own self censorship has caused legacy media to fall behind social media. I don't know how many times um, people have gone, oh, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to go to Twitter and find out what really happened. That's sort of what drove people into platforms like Twitter in the first place, a desire to hear the story that hasn't been moderated. So if we had an era of, of, true journalism, like we used to have where the real stories on the ground, were coming out of the professional legacy media, they would solve their problem overnight. It's got nothing to do with big tech. It's to do with their own quality of, of product. Um, but as, as far as um uh, what happens to people like me like I'm not a journalist this is the thing I, I'm just a writer I've I haven't done media ever um I sat in on a few uh, English classes at uni and they were absolutely terrible it was all just full left-wing psycho stuff I, I had to walk out I don't even know how you'd be a journalist if you're on the right today because you, you couldn't survive the uni course that's damn sure yeah um or so, even being
0: inside an office full of journalists as a right-wing person. I, don't, I think you'll stand out like a sore thumb.
1: And the key thing: I'm a centrist libertarian. I'm not even right, but in today's environment, that leaves you as a, a far-right fringe as far as social media is concerned. Uh, yeah. I'm old-school liberty, but um, not that that even matters now. Yeah. Um but what was your question? I actually forgotten your question with the uh, invasion of the I, screen. I,
0: yeah, fair enough. I was just sort of asking and it was kind of like a very broad question of like where you thought um, within the context of uh, this sort of um, legacy media where you thought like uh, journalism was headed like. Um,
1: oh right. Yeah, yeah okay. So it's uh, unfortunately what I think is going to happen is the same thing that happened to TV. I don't know how many people now have free-to-air TV but Uh, most people I speak to get their tv off basically youtube and they watch you know
0: video killed the the radio star
1: exactly Um, and podcasts so most of their content's being created by a mixture of independent users who are completely unaffiliated and then surfing some of the big platforms for just whatever content pops up Um, I think that will get worse because I've not seen much evidence to show that legacy media is interested in broadening its new talent base. I mean, how many faces have you seen on TV which have been there for 20, 30 years with nobody new underneath them um, to support them or to train to come up? So uh, that's not a a good sign for legacy media. We should be seeing new journalists and and new quality. Um, The US is a little bit better than Australia, but not much. Um, So I think it's inevitable that we're going to see a, a, a journalist class more heavily owned by social media propped up by independent journalists provided they don't get censored. So if the government doesn't sort out this media censorship that's happening from the American corporations, then we're going to end up with a a media and journalist class owned wholly by the powers that be in social media, which will be um, not great for truth or discussion or advancing civilization. If that's what we get, it'd be like the ministry of truth, but for real,
0: yeah, so, so much of what we're talking about um, definitely gives me 1984 vibes, um, like the memory hole. Um, and yeah, so you, I know you're a big critiquer of socialism. Um, and I think me just having a background from Eastern Europe, it's just like, yeah, it's obvious. It's it's not a good idea. What do you think? It's It seems to be getting pretty popular in Australia and this idea that, uh, you know, we, we can do it right this time, I guess, sort of thing. Um how like how we how are we going to like and we've got like these I don't know like the like I view sort of like when you look at like um sort of like history of like I don't know socialist regimes like usually the leaders are very popular and um, I, I don't want to uh, say it's almost in Western Australia here anyway I definitely have that vibe of like Mark McGowan is like our great leader here, and it's almost like to critique him in any way is kind of like you're a crazy person. And, um,
1: yeah, well, <laughs> the problem, first of all, the reason I focus on socialism is because it is the root cause at the problem of all these um, terrible political ideologies that rose up last century to tear the world apart. Yeah. And the, there's this idea that socialism is okay that the Democrats and Labor like to run. And so if you start attacking socialism at its core as the reason that these other regimes existed, they start to panic because they don't want you to recognise that the problem is actually socialism and that it spawns various levels of of destruction depending on who's going to interpret it this century. Um, So the example that I give is, well, it created, it's the reason that we ended up with Marxism. It's the reason we got full-blown communism. It's responsible for national socialism even though they hate it when you point out the fact that they really were a big state uh socialist government um it gives us globalism which is the new uh basically the new iteration of socialism but on a global scale yeah um so if you just take it back to socialism they panic and so i encourage everyone to critique socialism itself um so that the democrats can't use it as a oh it's okay it's only socialism so it'll be fine we'll be all right um as for you're quite right, a lot of uni students these days across the Western world want socialism. And the main reason is that they don't have a clue what socialism actually is. So I skimmed through the top level of school when um some of these old commie teachers were like trying to say how great socialism was. And they've basically educated kids to believe socialism is a free iPhone and you'll have free healthcare and you'll get given a house and you won't have to worry. Free money. That's not <laughs> Yeah. Right. Uh, socialism is more like a stranger in a car is trying to entice you in there with free candy and you're going to get murdered a few days later down the track after you've been abused. That's what socialism is. And yeah. they don't realize that at its absolute best socialism is you get to share one payphone with 50 cents a month. And that's, that's your, that's your socialism. It's not, um, you know, free everything and you won't have to work again. So it's easy to sell that idea to people who don't want to work or who have never had to work for anything. They've come out of their parents' money, who put them through union and put them through all their um, all the comforts of. They're the most privileged generation in the history of the planet. Yeah. And so a life where they don't have to work sounds great. They're all yeah. for that, not realizing they'll end up as slaves of a government when the government runs out of money. Um, okay. And that's why they want it. If you, I've actually stopped socialists on the street these kids and question them and they can't name one the underlying principles of socialism to the details of any regime that's actually put in they think the nordic system is socialism even though that's a capitalist system so basically it's a lack of education and i think it's um deliberately misleading education on behalf of the system it's not an accident they think these things
0: yeah I agree with you completely and um the thing the thing is it's like a lot of it it's like completely disconnected like I feel like a lot of people are very disconnected from like uh, the history of Australia like Australia was built upon like people like a lot of hard work went into like
1: the reverse of of socialism yeah yeah. people who built this nation were not socialists and they did not want socialism to be here
0: yeah, and it's kinda of like that thing of like uh you know, hard times create strong men, strong mates strong men create good times and like good times create weak men. And I think uh we're we're at that sort of point in the cycle, um where like a lot of weak, weak willed people accept like uh yeah, these these ideas that like you said have no foundation in reality whatsoever and yeah that's why I think the work you do um, fighting against that is uh, is awesome.
1: It's not what I intended to, intended to do but the problem that I faced is before I can have the discussion about for example why socialism is bad I have to go all the way back to the first principles Of the movement, where it started, then you have to detail the historical events that took place under other regimes because you're actually starting from zero with these things. So our parents and grandparents knew exactly what was going on. For example, um, our grandparents would never confuse fascism and Nazism. They know they were two completely separate regimes, they understood the differences between them, but you hear these things being used interchangeably because the simple fact is that today's people have no clue what they really entailed or what they meant. Which is why you can have someone call Trump a fascist when he's a market capitalist, pro-democracy, anti-censorship businessman, which yeah. is about as far away from fascism as you can physically get. You might want to call him an authoritarian if you don't like his brain, But again, that doesn't match his politics at all, which was always to give businesses more freedom, to give people more freedom, even if he didn't like what they were up to. So meaning has left our vocabulary yeah um, it's the other it's the same reason why you get antifa for saying oh well we're anti-fascist and what people don't understand is one antifa are communists and they define fascism as capitalism in general yeah. so what they're really saying is they're not anti Mussolini's fascism they are anti-capitalism and anti-democracy so that their name is is completely wrong to begin with um and then you forget that when they say oh we were fighting nazis going Yep, you did fight Nazis. You were the communist regime set up by Stalin. You're a youth pressure group um, set up in Germany by Stalin from Moscow. And your purpose was to fight not just Nazis, but also any libertarian democratic parties that were there. And for a while, you collaborated with uh, Hitler in order to crush the last of democracy. So people... Um, hear things like oh we fight nazis and you never ask them what do you actually want as a movement and the answer is to install an absolute communist dictatorship which you know might not seem so great when people understand what the end goal of these movements actually is
0: yeah and i like what you brought up before about how like like the words words have been like muddled like the word fascism like what that's used within today's context to describe like and then and then how it's applied to like words like antifa um and it it definitely like it almost like it makes it hard really to like uh communicate like to to people like what is going on
1: well they've they well what um is happening now is we're getting things posed to us as a a duopoly so you're given two choices you're either antifa you're against fascism or you're for it and what people don't say is hang on a second there was a third option You could be for capitalism and democracy. You didn't have to engage with communism or fascism. Thank you very much. And this is the thing that gets me. They they say, oh, uh, conservatism is far right. You know, first of all, far right was what the communists called the Nazis who were socialists, who were right of communism. So it was about the political line inside the socialist movement of which the Nazis were far right of the communists. It didn't represent or discuss in any way, shape or form the conservatives and the libertarians as the father, the greater rest of the world who weren't even on that political scale that the Antifa kids go on about. And yet somehow that's been, that language has been transcribed from their movement and their banners and their shouting without context and put onto conservative movements, which had nothing to do with that political spectrum. It's a completely different political spectrum. Technically yeah. far right is actually anarchists because they're the smaller the government you get to the less government is the right spectrum that's yeah. why politics makes no sense when you try and pull it down because the, the terms have been abused so badly that big state is far left no government is far right that's yeah. how it actually works
0: yeah and then i find like what happens is is this leads to a lot of people feeling like oh like i don't understand any of this like and um it, it just leads no to like yeah nihilism basically like i don't care about politics right and i i, I don't want to get involved um And it's kind of like, I can't remember, there's like a quote where it's kind of like, well, if you don't like sort of like, it's, it's always easy and fun to say, like, ignorance is bliss sort of thing. I don't care about politics, I don't want to be involved, but it it can kind of catch up to you in a bad way, if you you don't sort of stay informed, right?
1: Yeah, the one thing about socialism is it doesn't care if you don't want to get involved, it gets you involved, whether you like it or not, because you are an asset inside the government system that has to be used. So if you don't partake now, you won't be able to partake or object later on when you're being herded off to a gulag or being asked to work in factories. And it's inevitable that um, eventually, I mean, I try and and let people know that the natural end of politics is violence. So if you don't talk out your politics, you end up having to fight your way out of politics. And so it's so important that we all talk through the definitions and understand what it is we're electing. And what we're doing, because the alternative is is what happened last century. And yeah. I'm not sure people really want to go back there. But no. we will end up there if we don't get our stuff together and, and start talking.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, you brought up the word gulag. And that reminds me of a term I've heard before and especially relates to some of this big tech stuff we're talking about. Like the idea of like digital gulag, where we're basically like sort of like uh, stuck in our, like, I don't know, uh, own echo chamber that doesn't like criticize any of our um any of our ideas um that we're receiving and i think that definitely perfectly describes what a lot of the censorship um is potentially going to drive us to
1: well i i don't know if you've noticed but um a lot of commentators say or we're never going to see another hot war because we're too civilized and our trade is too intertwined for this current global society to engage in a hot war with each other like the previous centuries. That's a, a line that I've heard. Through like a World
0: war. war II type, hot war type thing. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it's something you hear the, uh, the the Australian put forward and um, the Financial Review often say it. You hear it quite a bit. Now, uh, I was reading through lectures uh, at the beginning of the, ni- of the 1900s um, and the prevailing thoughts in the 1920s was that where our global trade is so strong, um, we've advanced so much as a civilization, we're very civilised people, we will never have another hot war. And that was the exact phrase coming out of these lectures in the 1920s. Little did they know they're about to enter two of the most violent conflicts that the globe has ever seen. And so we must never fall into the idea that we are beyond violence and beyond war because it's simply not true and uh, if we don't exercise caution in what we're doing with proper understanding what the consequences of failing um, I think we're going to end up exactly where our ancestors did at the eve of another terrible conflict and we can avoid it but not if we allow censorship to take over like it did at the beginning of the 1920s and then Censorship allows terrible ideas to grow and grow until we end up in
0: conflict. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And yeah, thank you for like really, I think we really dug deep into some like uh, not so nice things to think about. But uh, that's the things like I like to keep the podcast raw and like uh, discuss ideas. Sorry,
1: you asked me about social media. I should have just talked about rubbish on social media.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a very broad thing. That's like another thing, but yeah, I can see you're a giant Tesla fan, and you've got like so. To wrap up the podcast on a more like positive note, um, I can see you've got books there. Like, yeah, tell me about you. Like, what? Why are you interested in? Why are you interest? Where your interest from Tesla came from, and like what? Like, uh, what? What you think his his message was?
1: Well. My father made a huge mistake. He gave me a book called The Man Who Invented the 20th Century, which is behind me on the shelf here. And that was uh, my introduction to Nikola Tesla's life. And I've, as someone who's always loved stories and a, and a writer, I think I fell in love with his story about a man who was ahead of his time and was trying to change the world for the better and was genuinely fascinated by the the limits of science and what he was trying to discover. He knew that he he sort of was aware of more than he was able to describe and he was continuously searching, um, trying to understand, well, particularly electricity, but basically the, the larger machinations of the world around him. And he was basically right, but either he was an inconvenience to commerce at the time, which was the whole war of the currents with Edison, or his advances were too far beyond the current realm for people to really understand them. So he was playing with um, uh, robotics and he was having discussions about the electromagnetic spectrum in um, contradiction to the accepted theories and facts. And he'd have to wait until after he was dead to be confirmed right in many of these different things, but he never gave up the spirit of science, the true science and exploration. And I think that's a, a beautiful story that, Um, there were still some people in the world who believe in trying to uncover the secrets of the universe. And that's what always fascinated me about him, which, you know, sprawled into a lifelong love affair of of Tesla and how he chose to live his life.
0: Yeah. And I have one final question for you, since you're someone that is well-versed and sounds like well-researched in Tesla and his life, what would you think uh, he would think about the world today?
1: I think the world today is very similar to the world that he inhabited. Um, he's, he's no stranger to war and to um, dangerous politics. I think he'd be doing exactly what he did last time, which was try and uncover whatever the uh, edge of knowledge was in our particular time. And he would continue to try and keep his, uh, his work out of the hands of people who shouldn't be playing with it. And I, I don't think he'd give up his dream to explore the universal truths. I think he'd do the same
0: yeah thank you and that's exactly why he's a big inspiration to me thank you so much for coming on today alexandra really appreciate it would you like to share how people can get in um get in touch with you or connect with you on on the social medias
1: yeah sure so um i'm pretty much ellie melly everywhere you go uh you can follow me on twitter which is my primary uh, social media account but i've also got a facebook page um i've got my blog which is linked on twitter I've got a Kofi account if you want to donate to my work and I've started a merch range. I'm doing cartooning next week. So um, I've currently just got a fun protest mug against the ABC up there now, but um, as from next week, I'll start selling some of my artwork, which you can also support me there. So yeah, follow me on Twitter, basically.
0: Thank you so much. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, um, leave us a review on iTunes, or if you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Thank you very much.